valuable and it cannot be held by physical hands, it's probably worth holding on to. This is Immaterial Treasures. I'm your host, Dan Fee Parker. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Immaterial Treasures. This is Dan Fee, your host, and I'm here today with um, a very interesting individual. Uh, it's funny how we met. We actually met online. No, it wasn't a dating app. <laughs> um, this individual, I saw him, I think it was about maybe two, was it two or three weeks ago? Uh, about two weeks. So two weeks ago, it was like a Saturday morning. I got up and I got onto YouTube. I spent a lot of time on YouTube now because I've limited my social media intake. And there's a YouTuber on um, who's who, her name is Vanessa Camby. Uh, and what she does is she likes to highlight different aspects or, or different parts of Ghana. And she's kind of almost making an appeal to diaspora to, re- to return back to Ghana. And she shows... Uh, how to buy land, just the different initiatives being that's ha- happening in Ghana and whatnot. So she had a live stream, and on her live stream, there was one gentleman on there who started a conversation. He was from Atlanta, and he started a conversation about um, African Americans having an easier transition to the continent of Africa if they if they so desire to. That these African countries should make it easier for them to become citizens and whatnot. So that took up like most of the, the the stream. It was like a three hour stream. I ended up getting on there to give my input, but then another individual came on, uh, who's my guest today. His name he goes by the name King Anan. You can find him on YouTube, uh, and it's spelled uh, it's King K I N G, and Anan is A N N A N. And he was just talking about um, just he was sharing a bit of his story, and he was uh, talking about the misunderstandings between African Americans and Africans from the continent of Africa. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So I, I actually, when I was when he was talking, I a lot of the things he said resonated with me. So I was like, huh, I'd like to get in touch with this guy somehow. So I reached out and uh, I found his uh, YouTube page and commented and I asked him, hey, I'd like to have a conversation with you, kind of get your story and um, have a conversation about just the misunderstandings between Africans and African Americans and see what he thinks. So here he is, King Anan. Um, and uh, King Anan, introduce yourself. Hey, Dunphy. Uh Thank you for the wonderful introduction. That was amazing. And yeah, as soon as uh, Danfi reached out to me, um, you know, I was I was definitely up for it because I'm always up for interesting conversations between brothers like us, like um, like us. But yeah, my my actual full name is Kamala Nyameke Anan Ewule. So with with Ghanaians especially, we usually have (laughs) really long names. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of us have four names. Uh, All my kids have four names as well. Um, You know, that's part of our our culture. Um, But yeah, so I was born, I I currently live in um, Pensacola, Florida. Um, And um, if anybody's heard of the Panhandle of Florida, it's right next to Alabama. But um, I was born in um, a little town, a small town in the western region of Ghana, right on the coast, uh, called Second Deep. Uh, there's another town. It's kind of like uh, sister cities. There's another town called Takarade. So we call the area Second Deep Takarade, but Second Deep is a, it's a town unto itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born there uh, in the late 70s, 1977. I mean, I'm not, I'm not afraid to give my age. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, I was born into a pretty modest home, um, you know, um, in, in Ghana at the time and even now, you know, we, we, we kind of have really large families that live in in homes. So it's not like here in the United States where you might have 
you know, your mother and father. And then, you know, if you're, you're a child or if you have children and that's it. But we, we live in, um, you know, we, we have a lot of communal living uh, in Ghana. Um, you know, that, that everything has its advantage and disadvantages. But for the most part, it's, it's an advantage because you get to be raised by not just your parents, but, you know, maybe your grandma, your grandpa, you know, uncles. So that's, that's how I grew up, at least for the first four years of my life, uh, growing up in that type of home. You know, my mother was there, my her mother, and then also her mother's mother. So my great-grandmother lived in that same house. Wow. Okay? And that's that's really important because you you get to know your lineage. You, you know, you, you get to learn a, a lot of different traditions just by having that, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, that that type of um, ascendancy um, in, in the same home. Right. Um, you know, grew up with some aunties, some uncles, all in the same house. And what was pretty interesting about the first four years of my life is that I didn't, well, I guess for most people, for most children that age, you might not really uh, recognize what uh, a mother and father, you just know that, you know, someone's taking care of you. As you know, I guess as much as you can know at that age in your life. Um, I didn't know that my father wasn't around until one day, four years old, um, my mother and I slept in the same room. We slept on the same bed. And in our room, one day I was just being, you know, a curious child. I was going through a, a photo album that she had. I don't know um, how old you, you listeners might be, but back in the day, even in the States, if you go over someone's house, you have a photo album. I'm sure, Dempsey, you, you know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, you... You have a photo album, you know, you're combing through. We didn't have Facebook back then, of course. So no, no, one, no one uploaded. The internet wasn't around. So, um, yeah, so I was going through this photo album, you know, just going through. And then all of a sudden I see two men, you know, two handsome men uh, that I had never seen before. And my mother, I believe, this is like the first memory that I can remember, uh, you know, from from my whole life. Uh, you know, it really stood out, and I'm going to tell you exactly why right now. So, uh, I, I can remember my my mother walking into this little room, and I asked her like, "Who are these two men?" And she said, "Oh, that's your your father and his brother." And she and I asked her, "So where are they?" And she said, "Oh, they're in the United States of America. They're mm-hmm. in America." And so I was like, so where is America? Because I, I, I don't think I'd ever heard of America before. And she said, it's it's somewhere, you know, it's 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 in another place. Mm. So from that moment, I always in the back of my mind believed that I would end up in America, that I would end up in this country. I don't mm. know how, but as you know, as I grew up, like I always thought back then that when I when I think about this very moment that I will end up in this country. Hmm. Because and the, the when I think about it now as an adult, you know, like as as a, especially for boys, you always have that longing for your father if he's not around. It's it's something that's programmed in you, right? Because you need that male figure, and that's that's the one thing that as black people, I'm, I mean, I'm just gonna keep it real. I mean, I can do that, right, Dempsey? Oh, keep it real. Keep it one hundred. We're we're good with that. Yeah. That's that's the that's the one thing that is troubling us as black people because a lot of black men don't have that father figure in their home, and if you don't know your father, you're kind of 
you know, lost. Like you, you're going to be swaying around like a, like a boat that's going on a journey, but doesn't really have a destination. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So from that moment, um, you know, I got, I got to find out that my father was in America. Um, and then eventually my mother, she, um, had to move. She was a nurse. So she had to move to Nigeria because around that time, Ghana was having a really uh, tough time economically and the Nigerian economy was better than ours. So she left to Nigeria to go get a job as a nurse. And then I moved, she moved me to my aunt, who her sister, who lived in Accra, which is the capital city. So my aunt had a son who was a year younger than me. So, you know, me and him were thick as thieves growing up. Um, we were some, we were some little bad boys around six years old. My aunt had to, had to really set us straight with her, uh, her long brown cane. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much how I grew up. And then, you know, I was, I went to a, a, a few different schools in Accra. Um, you know, she, she did, uh, the best raising us, you know, we grew up in a really comfortable home, um, by Ghana standards. I mean, Ghana in the eighties in the early eighties was really having a rough time economically. Um, you know, when Rollins, Jerry John Rollins, who recently passed away, uh, came into, uh, became president, it, it was having a really rough time. And I remember, you know, as a child, from what any child can remember at that age, you know, I used to hear things that were going on in Ghana as far as the, as far as the economy and everything. But, you know, we we did okay. So, you know, my aunt did the best she, she could to, raise us you know we had uncles and aunties again also living in the same house because you know that's how a lot of people grew up in ghana so one day my aunt um came to pick me up from school she used to she used to drop me off to school because my school was maybe about 20 30 minutes away she would drive me to school uh come pick me up in the afternoon um you know she did a lot for me i mean she was like my mother when my, my mother wasn't there mm. um you know at, at one time and this is this is some of, some of the strange things that happened in Ghana. Is like at one time I used to call her mommy, and then my my mother, who was Emma, I used to call my mother Auntie Emma, hmm. because everybody called her Auntie Emma. Everybody called her Auntie Emma. I mean, Ghana, uh, an older person is Auntie, and an older woman is Auntie, and the older man is Uncle. You know, that's just a sign of respect. So, yeah, at one time I even called my mother Auntie Emma because everybody called her Auntie Emma. And then my aunt, my aunt Sophie was mommy because everybody at home called her mommy. At least all the kids. So that's what I called her. And so one day she came to pick me up at school. And when I jumped into the car, I jumped in um, behind the driver's seat, which she was driving. There was another man sitting in the front who was my dad's brother, but a different brother, the one, uh, another one that lived in Ghana. Uh, not the one that I saw in the photo because mm. he was still in America. Right. And then behind the passenger seat, right next to me, there was another man. And when I jumped in the car, we took off. Uh, my aunt asked, um, do you know who the, the man said next to you? And I said, no. And she said, that's your father. Mm. And at the, age, at the age of eight, I still... <laughs> I still get uh, goosebumps whenever I, I, I tell the story, whenever I get to this moment. But yeah, so at the age of eight, that's how I met my father. Wow. You know, he had come to, he had come to the, uh, Ghana to, you know, come spend some time, maybe about two to three weeks. And, 
you know, I followed that man every single where he went from mm. that moment. You know, I, I got out of school for about two weeks and just hung out with him. He took me to his family home in Takarate because that's where I had never met that side of the family. As a matter of fact, his father I had never met. He had passed away like the year before uh, me and my father met. So, so wait, I never met my grandfather. This whole time you were living in Ghana growing up with your mom, you had no opportunities to go see your dad's side of the family? No. I don't know. See, I don't know what happened. The, the, all that part of, you know, you know, my, my father told me the history of how they, they split up, mm-hmm. you know, which I'm not really going to go into into on this um, on this podcast. Right. No need to. No need to. But yeah. Yeah. You know, there, there are things that happen between men and women, you know, when when people are adults. But basically how they met, I, I can tell you that part. How they met is my, my father uh, was a uh, he came to Ghana to live there maybe about a year and he was teaching math at a at a school at a secondary school and my mother was a student so you know that professor student relationship uh those things happen in ghana as well you know mm. like they happen all over the world so my mother was a student he was a professor and that's how i came to be so um, you're you're you said so, your father came to teach mathematics where did he come from the states yeah, he was in the States. He came, okay, so my father came to the uh, States. He's been here like 50 years or something like that. Okay, okay. So he came to the States to go to uh, Prairie View A&M, which is in Houston, Texas, and then he graduated from Rice University Okay. in, in Houston. Uh, so, yeah, he went back to, he was an uh, engineering student. So he went back to Ghana to teach maybe about a year at a, um, a secondary school um, in, near the Western region. And that's how they met. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. So you know, I was hanging out with this man, following him everywhere. You know, I was, I was like a little puppy following after because you know you you you've met your father uh, out of the blue, and you just want to know everything about him. Plus, he lives in America, mm-hmm. and at that time, <laughs> at that time, as a kid in Ghana, and probably still now, everybody wants to come to either Europe, wants to go to uh, England. Or wants to end up in the states, and it is the same now. Because in in Africa, we don't, and that that's probably some, one of the things that we're going to talk about on this call. In Africa, we don't look within for the results that we want in our life, the the things that we want in our life. We look outside, right? Like you know, I have to go, I have to go to Europe, I have to go to America to achieve the things that I want in my life, right? And it's it can be easy for us to say because we're on this end, you know, but. Mm. Yeah, that's how it was, you know, watching American movies like, you know, Beverly Hills Cop coming to America, uh, <laughs> BMS Bandits and all those, you know, those movies, you know, we, I, I wanted to be in, you know, America. I wanted to be outside, just like, you know, a lot of people. So one day just hanging out with him, he um, he asked me, like, do you want to come live with me? And without even thinking about it, I said yes. Mm. It's like there was nothing to think about. So... It took a few years, and then eventually I moved uh, here. You know, I, I I traveled all the way from Ghana by myself, uh, but that wasn't the first time I'd been on an airplane. Wait, how I, old I were you? I was 12. Oh, okay. So you flew by yourself yeah. from Ghana to America by yourself? From Ghana on on Alitalia uh, Airways. I think they're defunct now. It's an Italian um, airline. Flew from Ghana to Nigeria to Greece. Um, no, no, not Greece. I'm sorry. To Italy, to Rome, Italy. 
hung out in the airport for a few hours, almost got lost and ended up on the wrong plane. Wow. It was this Nigerian lady that was coming over to the States and was like, no, come this way. You need to go this way. So, and then I ended up in Boston, outside Boston, Massachusetts, one of the coldest places in America. Wow. You were greeted with the cold. Was was that? You were greeted with the cold. Exactly. I moved there in the spring. In, in March and it, it's still cold in Massachusetts at that time you know it's snowing I mean you live in Canada so you know yeah <laughs> um, yeah so it was a huge culture shock uh, moving into a home we lived in an apartment um, my my cousin lived with, with my parents at the time um, you know a, a, a girl cousin uh, she had been living with my parents for a year so at least I had someone my age because she was uh, older just a year older than me so you say but parents, does that mean your dad had a um, a wife in America that you had met for yeah. the first time? Yes, yes, yes. She, she's, uh, she's black American. But mm. the crazy thing about her, not even crazy, but she had lived in Ghana for a couple of different times in the 70s because she was a Peace Corps volunteer. Oh. So she understood a, a Ghanaian culture very well. Um, only thing she did, you know, she doesn't speak the language, but she understands a little bit. And she understands Ghanaian culture. So, you know, it was it was kind of an easier transition uh, because I wasn't moving in to live with, you know, a mother figure, somebody who was completely different from me. She understood Ghanaians. Mm. And, you know, they, she had been around a lot of Ghanaians because they, they lived in Houston, Texas, which there's always been Ghanaians in Houston, Texas for a long time. So, yeah, so that's the type of home that I moved into. Just me, um, you know, who, um, the young lady that I call my sister now, uh, she's a year older than me. And then my parents, you know, they'd get up in the morning, go to work. We jump on a bus, go to school, come home. Nobody there, you know. And in Ghana, whenever I go to school and come home, there were at least about four to five people in the house, in the mm. house that we lived in. So it was very, I, it was, I got really, really lonely at one point, you know, like almost like, it, because it was it was getting to the spring, and at that time, sometimes I would look outside the window of our apartment and didn't see no leaves on the trees. Like it was like really sad, mm, <laughs> you know. And Ghana yeah. is a tropical place, <laughs> right? Where right. the wind is always blowing, yeah, the sun is out. But here, like you know, sometimes there's no sun, and it, it's it gets dark early, like three four p.m. It's dark. Because of the, you know the daylight saving time, right. and it was just like a a really sharp transition. But you know, I, I I got used to it after a while. You know, got all the creature comforts, watching cable TV, MTV, and all you know all that kind of stuff. So I got used to America. So yeah, that's pretty much pretty much my story, man. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, it's really interesting, especially you know the the whole connection with meeting your dad for the first time when you're eight. In fact, we actually have that in common. I met my my dad for the first time when I was eight too. So I was, oh, uh, wow. yeah, I was born in Ghana, and um, when I was born, he was here in Montreal, Canada. And um, mm-hmm. when I first met him, I met him in Toronto because uh, we had moved here. And kind of like you, I didn't see a photo of him. I just a lot of what you said kind of I relate to because. When I was growing up with my mom and my sisters, my brother in Ghana, we um, mm-hmm. we had a lot of people in the house, just like you were describing. So my mom was very actively involved mm-hmm. in the church. So all the pastors would help my mom out. There was like men always around. In fact, there was mm-hmm. one pastor uh, who actually dedicated me um, and he, I thought he was my father. 
um, just because of how okay. much he was around and his family, his wife and his kids. They were like, it was like one big family, right? So I knew that there was somebody because I think um, my mom said it, but I knew somebody was, I knew my dad was somewhere else because I would get gifts. So I would get like soccer balls and I was a big soccer fanatic. Like that's all I did as a kid was play soccer. So I would, I always had the nice soccer ball and I knew it was coming from somewhere else. It wasn't coming from Ghana. So I knew somebody somewhere was my father there. That's how I kind of knew. Okay. Um, and uh, in fact, the first time I met him, I wasn't even interested in, in, in him. I was interested in the escalators that I was going up and down on because I thought it was so fascinating <laughs> in the airport. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, no, that's uh, I can definitely relate to that. It's interesting wow. because what you uh, shared about, you know, you had like almost like an instant family, a different family when you came to America. And I wanted I kind of want to explore what I in one sense, you had like a, a stepmom who had the culture, um, the Ghanaian culture, you know, behind uh-huh. her. She understood it. She had been in Ghana. Do you think when uh-huh. you came, w- would you say that your dad was still Ghanaian or he had assimilated in the American culture and became like African-American? Oh, my dad was very Ghanaian. Okay. He was very, very Ghanaian. So much so. I mean, I can remember when I first moved here. Um, where we lived was maybe about 20 minutes outside Boston and it was more like a, a white community. Mm. Okay. So as a matter of fact, the schools that I went to, um, I, like, let, let's say my high school had, I went to a pretty large high school. Um, I guess it had about 1500 kids, um, freshmen to seniors mm. and the most black kids that we had all four years was about 10 black kids, including me and my, my sister. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, so that's, we, we didn't have a lot of black people around us, but so in, in Boston, you know, which was maybe about 20 miles, 20, 25 minutes away, every now and then, like every other weekend, we drive up, maybe go to the fish market or go to look for like an African store to buy like fufu and, you know, that kind of food, mm-hmm. you know, that Ghana food. And then every once in a while, my dad would see somebody and he would say to us, that guy's from Ghana. And then he would go up and talk to him and, and they would be speaking like tree or something. And I was like, how did you know? He's like, oh, I can tell my people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. He, he'd, ever, since, ever since he'd been here in America, he would always hang out with, with Ghanaian people, either Ghanaian or Nigerians, because uh, Houston, they lived in Houston for a very long time before they moved out to Massachusetts. Right. So, and Houston had a really large Ghanaian population, and they would go to parties. You know, all they they used to tell us they were always partying at that at that time. I guess they were in their you know in their thirties. You know, I didn't have no kids. You know, my um my my stepmom. Well, it's it's more like my mom because actually my mother passed away. Um, what fifteen years ago? Oh, sorry to hear that. So, yeah, yeah, it's okay. That's life. Um, did she um, so, did she stay in Nigeria or did she ever come back to Ghana? Your your, your mom, your birth mom. Oh, she she came back. She came back to live okay. in Ghana eventually. Okay, okay. and I, I actually uh, go to go to that story. <laughs> yeah, that's another crazy thing. So, um, yeah, my my parents, my mom and dad here. You know, they were always around Ghanaians. And as a matter of fact, my dad used to tell me this story that back in the seventies or eight. Actually, probably the 70s. If you travel to another state and you wanted to eat Ghanaian food, 
you would look in the phone book and look for a Ghanaian name like Asari or Wusu or uh, any other common Ghanaian name like uh, Butchway or something like that. Wow. You would find that person and then you would call that person and tell them that, and this is somebody you don't even know. Right. You would call them and, and tell them, oh, you know, I just came to your state. I looked you up and your name was in the phone book. And that person would invite you over to come eat. Wow. Because they didn't have Ghanaian restaurants. They didn't have any Ghanaian stores like they do now in most major cities like Toronto or, or New York or, you know, wherever in America, in Houston. Hmm. They didn't have that. So that's how you would, you would you know, if you traveled and you wanted to eat Ghanaian food, that's, that's what you do. So, yeah, he always was, you know, uh, he he would coming up. He would always tell me stories about you know this person or that person, and you know they did this. We used to go to this party and all kind of different stories. So yeah, he, he's always he never really assimilated like that. No, mm-hmm. I think I I more assimilated than him because obviously I I went to school here and you become who you are around you. You know your environment influences you. Right. But if you grew up in Ghana and you moved here in the seventies, I mean. The, the Ghanaian culture and traditions are more baked into you than, than if you moved here when you were much younger. Right. You know, what's interesting is you said your dad had been in America for like 50 years before, um, prior to you coming, right? Mm-hmm. Your dad right. would have been around for the civil rights movement. Um, no, he came here in the 70s. Oh, so okay. After the civil rights movement. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it came he came in, here in the seventies. Okay. Yeah. So, but there were still remnants of like that movement, right? That was still probably like, I mean, it's still, uh, yeah. pretty, it's still effective in America as we speak, but. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, I actually have um, a relative, his uncle came here in the sixties, mm. but he's, he's uh, uncle Chris, he's 93, 94. And whenever I visit him, he lives in Houston. Whenever I visit him, he, I always want to ask him about that time, but he's not really like alert like that. Right. You know, at that age, yeah. So, but that's like one of the, because I want to get like, I'm really interested in history. Right. You know, so I want to get like uh, somebody's perspective who actually grew up around that time as to like what the feeling was like, mm. you know, what was going on, what did you see, you know, but, you know, he's really old, so. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I I would like to acquire somebody's voice from that time as well, if the if there is anybody yeah. still around. I wanted to ask this. So your dad, as you said, your dad was he held on to his Ghanaian tradition and heritage when he came to America, but somehow he ended up with an African American. So I I wanted to know like what was his dynamic or his relationship with African Americans and um like how did that influence you growing up? Did you did you see the distinction when you were growing up, like between African Americans and your dad? Um, like, what, what was the message that your dad even spoke to you about African Americans yeah. growing up? Yeah, so it was really interesting because um, growing up in that that kind of home, obviously, my mom didn't speak our language, mm. so we mostly we we spoke English. Okay, we spoke, you know, we spoke English or we, we don't really speak English in this country. We speak American slang. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, so we, we don't speak our language at home. And as embarrassing as it is for me to say right now, you know, and I, I'll, I'll admit it, like I kind of forgot how to speak my own language. You Which know, dialect was that? I never, Ponte. 
Fonte is where we, you know, my, oh, my okay. mother is a Fonte. Yeah. So when I went back home after 13 years, like I, I couldn't really say certain things. Like it's, it's in the back of your mind because your, your language never really leaves you, you know. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of things that I couldn't say. And, and part of it was because of my American slang also. Because you sound funny if you speak a, a local language or any other language in American slang. Things don't come out the same. Mm-hmm. So the same embarrassment, I just wouldn't say it at all. I just spoke English when I went back the first time. But eventually, after going back back and forth, you know, I've been to Ghana quite a few times since uh, since the first time that I went. You know, now I can speak a, I can speak a much better. And my wife also is from Ghana. She's a Ghana woman, which is the you know the Accra people. But she speaks Fonti also, and she speaks Fonti much better than I do. Mm. So, you know, we we speak it at home because we try to get our children to hear our language, you know, so they can, you know, and sometimes there are certain things that we don't want to say around them. So (laughs) we just speak our language around them. But yeah, so, you know, to answer your question, uh, growing up in our home, there was an interesting dynamic because after a while, you know, just being influenced by American culture, uh, you know, listening to hip hop, you know, hip hop had a huge influence on me growing up because, I, even in Ghana, I really wasn't the music, you know, especially like American music, um, you know, watching some of these European artists. Uh, I was really into 80s music like Madonna, Boy George, uh, you know, those type of groups. You know, I saw Run DMC the first time actually on a, on a videotape in Ghana. Mm. So I saw hip hop culture from afar, from way afar. You know, LL Cool J, I saw LL Cool J when I was in Ghana on a, on a videotape. No, so I, I when I came here, I got really huge into hip hop and that culture, the messages and everything you're hearing, it changes you. It changes you as a person because you adopt the kind of the mentality, mannerisms, and everything. Music has a huge influence on on all of us, you know. Right. So yeah, so you know, after a while, I guess my father could see that I was changing, and he used to tell me like. You've, you've forgotten your culture, you've lost your culture. And I would brush it up like, what are you talking about, Dad? You know, but at, later, as I as I got, in, I got older and become an, became an adult, I could understand what he was saying because now I have kids. So I understand, like, when you, when you look at your kids, you can see the things that they're doing that they don't notice, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And as a, as a child, when an adult is telling you something, uh, a lot of times they're right, you know, and when you're coming up, you don't really want to listen to them because, you know, you you're developing your own mindset and whatnot. But yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty much uh, how I grew up. But, you know, the one thing that my dad tried to do, he had friends in New York, in the Bronx. And between where we lived at outside Boston and, and New York was about a three-hour ride. So every now and then we drive up there and they used to have these um, parties, like Ghanaian parties. Mm-hmm. So we'd go up there. They, they, were, they were also Ghanaian. And as a matter of fact, when I flew into uh, LaGuardia Airport in New York, uh, when I arrived first in the United States, we spent the night at their house in the Bronx. So th- they were the first Ghanaian family that I had met. Um, they had three kids um, also. So, you know, we used to go out there and hang out with them sometimes during the summertime. We spent the summertime in New York, in the Bronx, going to all different parts of New York. So, um, yeah, I had I had a really fun childhood. You know, I, I, I missed the times that, we had back then, uh, you know, growing up. Because as a, as a child, as a kid, you don't really have too many cares in the world. 
you just want to have fun, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was a dynamic, uh, growing up, but yeah, yeah. I hope, I, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. It's gonna, it's gonna lend into my first question. I wanted to ask you about, um, the topic at hand. Cause in the stream that I saw you, you, you made up, uh, you said one interesting thing. Cause one of the, just to give some context to the listeners, um, one of the uh, one person came onto the stream, and one of the things he said was that um, he didn't. Because this was the question at hand was, should African Americans that come to Ghana be given citizenship right away? And one uh-huh. of the gentlemen on the stream said, no, he didn't think so because um, he didn't think. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he didn't really feel like it was right to give the give it to them that way right away. And how African Americans don't actually. Um, identify with Africans. They think they're different from us, mm-hmm. and 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 that stuff. But when you got on the stream, you said something, and you 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 brought some, you brought up the issue of like the misunderstanding between African Americans and um, mm-hmm. and Africans. And I wanted to know uh, what's one of the major misunderstandings. Having grown up in a home where you had a Ghanaian father and an African American mom, mm-hmm. did you see any like major things that stood out to you or just in general, your observation to live in America since coming from Ghana, like what are the major, what's one major misunderstanding that you see, be- be- you know, between African-Americans and Africans from the continent? I think there's a deep seated, um, how do I put this? But I think there's a deep seated notion that Africans sold out their own brothers mm. to the enslavers. Okay, for you know maybe gunpowder or, or or whatever trinkets or whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's a story that has been told by um, our enslavers and their descendants, the the education system, or you know books that were printed obviously by white people. Right. Okay, and it's not talked about a lot, and you know that's that's one of the reasons why I actually started my my YouTube channel. Um, but. I think that's there in in the back of a lot of um, African Americans' minds, like how they actually ended up here and how they went through the brutality that they had to go through to be who they are now, mm-hmm. you know, to be manifested into who African Americans are now. So, I think the misunderstanding comes from there, and then also uh, another um, uh, another fragment of it is that a lot of Africans come here and work really hard and are able to accomplish a lot more than uh, what um, a lot of African Americans who've lived in this country for so long haven't Mm. been able to accomplish. Okay. And some of that comes from the fact that in this country, you know, you you have so much in, in this country, even though, you know, racism exists, there's so much here that you're you're given, mm-hmm. you know that uh, Africans are not don't have access to. So once you come here, once you come to this country, you're trying to as an African, you're trying to grab everything that you can, you know, trying to do whatever you can to grab whatever you can because you don't have access to, to those things back home, and right. because African Americans don't know Africa. They haven't, you know, a lot of African Americans, majority of them, haven't been to Africa and haven't seen the plight and the struggle that Africans go through, you know, just for the basic necessities. They don't appreciate how hard that Africans have to work in this country. So let's just say an African comes uh, comes here, 
right? Mm-hmm. And through hard work in about three to five years, they've been able to establish themselves. You know, maybe they bought a home. You know, they, they've gotten married to somebody that they've, they've met here, another African. You know, they have a few kids. You know, all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're moving on. And then you've got an African-American that maybe lives in a project. Right, mm-hmm. do no fault of their own sometimes, but sometimes it's it's more mental than anything. Uh, that whole living in a project and being raised there, right. um, you know, they see this African that just came here in this country, and they're like, "Wait a minute," you know, they might not say it, but in their mind, they're thinking like, "Wait a minute," he he didn't grow up here, he wasn't born here, so why is it that he's got more than me? How is he able to accomplish more than me? And I've lived in this country, but because of segregation on all these different systematic uh, systems that have, have been set up against us, we're not able to progress. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, that's where the rift and the, the divide comes. Uh, a lot of it comes from. Um, and just also the fact that it, it leads to a lot of misunderstanding, but you know, the one thing I, I say, and again, the reason why I started my YouTube channel is that we're, we're all the same. We're all, we're all suffering through the same mental anguish. You know, one on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, uh, Black Americans, yeah, are suffering through the uh, results of enslavement. Back home in Ghana and the rest of Africa, colonialism. So it's like two sides of the same coin. Right. Okay. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, African Americans don't know anything about Africa except what they've been told. You know, in the in the history books, you know, they don't know that they're descendants of kings and queens. Some do, but the ones that are ignorant, they don't know and they don't want to know because they think that Africa is still the dark continent. Like, why would I go to Africa? You know, there's nothing there for me. Right. You know, some might even say my uh, ancestors are American Indians. I've got I've got Indian in my family. <laughs> right. And that may be true. I, it may be true. Right. It may be true. But. Uh, originally, if you trace if you trace your ancestry all the way back, now we're talking about hundreds of thousands of years, maybe or, or tens of thousands of years. We're all from Africa, right? We're all from Africa. I mean, I'm sure you learned about Pangaea uh, back in you know in high school, middle school, or whatever. The, right. the whole of the Earth was one land, and then it split up because of um you know the tectonic plates or, or whatever they they called it back, you know. Um, so. There's, yeah, it, that's where the, that's where a lot of the misunderstanding draws from. There's something you said about um, it's interesting because you said you know uh, Africans come to this part of the world and they work hard to succeed and whatnot, right? Um, and mm-hmm. maybe African Americans look upon them and they're like, "What's that about?" You know what I mean? Like I've been here and I am going to be able to acquire some of the things that these guys just came here and they just figured it out. Um, and then you address right. the psychological damages that African Americans have had to go through, right? Um, and Africans have we we have our own too from the continent. Um, I think with so with Africans coming here, like there is something that has to be said about being raised in the majority culture. And the reason why I say that mm-hmm. is because when I went to Ghana, there was such a really I don't even know how to describe it. Having people around me that look like me. Uh, mm-hmm. was it was freeing it, it had a whole nother dimension for me and i, I and because right. i left so young that i didn't have enough time to be raised not looking over my shoulder not have not this constant like neurotic state of like how are other people perceiving me that don't look like me do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and african americans mm-hmm. have 
perpetually had to live with that trauma, you know, and, and it's not right. just mental, it's literally outward, like redlining, all these things are done in society to make them know that they're not the same as their white counterparts. Right. They're not, they're not going to be treated the same and they will have to work 10 times as hard if they even want to make, um, anything of themselves in America, even though they have, some of them do, there are African-Americans who really do well for themselves, but they are the exception, not the rule. Anyways, I brought that up to right. say this is that when I was in, when I first moved to Virginia beach, cause I lived in the States too, I went to middle school and high school there. And one of the things that has been damaging for me still that I, I kind of like, I have this kind of like, um, how do I describe it? uneasy feeling when I see African-Americans now like gravitating towards African culture and African um, dr uh, like just attire and African music and all that stuff and just kind of like appropriating our culture now. Not all of them. There's, there's, there's a huge um, push towards that. Even Beyonce making um, uh, it was the Blackest King and all those things using Ghana. Mm -hmm. Those things are such, it's so new because when I was in middle school and high school like mm -hmm. the dynamic that I felt was it wasn't so much that they looked at my, me or my parents and thought, why are they doing well? They looked, they looked at me like I was the bottom for them. It was right. like prior to me coming into their circle, like African American kids I, I hung out with, they were the bottom in America and in, mm -hmm. in, in relation to white people in America. But when I came in, I was like the bottom bottom. Cause you're African. You're, you're from the continent. Mm -hmm. We view you as like primitive uneducated you need help you're, you're, you're literally at the right. aid of everybody and i remember kids in middle school making jokes like like you know when they found out that i was Ghanaian. like one kid he's, he's like what's your name you know like he's like is your name like you know click click you know like they were trying to make funny like jokes and stuff like that like yeah. is your name in butu you know african booty scratcher like all these things that they would like clown on me so i got to the point right. where i didn't want to be african i was ashamed I was, I, I wanted, yeah. so any, anytime somebody kind of like mis, mistook me for being African-American, I felt a type of way. I felt good about myself, which is so wrong because I was, why, do, yeah. why did I have to like shed my Africanness in order to, um, to fit in or to feel like I was part of, um, or I wasn't the last person in the group, you know, in this hierarchy right. of like individuals. So it's interesting for the way, the way you talked about that and my experience in um, you know, my relationship with like African Americans growing up and all that stuff. Um, did you have any experiences like that 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 could have been, you know, similar? Yeah, it's it's really interesting that you asked that question because, um, yeah, my my experiences were kind of similar, but for me, I was lucky that I didn't grow, I didn't go to school, um, I didn't go to like high school in a um in a neighborhood where there was a lot of African-Americans. Mm. So when I, when I moved, when I came here, uh, I, I spent like the latter half of seventh grade in in junior high. And then I went to eighth grade and then high school. And like I said, my, my school was full of white kids. So for them, it was more a curiosity. They used to ask me things like, um, what's Africa like? You know, do you guys live on trees? Mm. Do you have lions and tigers, you know, running around in the streets? Um, why is your 
your your palm light and the the other hand, wow. the other side of your hand dark. <laughs> oh. And these are these are questions that like I'd never considered before moving to America, before moving to the states. So I didn't even know how to ask. I didn't even know how to answer them. Hmm. I had no idea that people would ask such ignorant questions. You know, I had and I had to explain to them that yeah, we we live in houses. You know, maybe probably the house that I lived in. I don't know if you're familiar with the the North Laboni neighborhood and um in in Accra. It's kind of behind Osu. Okay, I know where Osu is. It's, it's yeah. like yeah, it's like a really nice neighborhood. Yeah. And when I was growing up, I thought it was normal. But when I when I um I, I met some Ghanaians, you know, when I, I became an adult, and I told them I I lived in that neighborhood, and they thought we were rich. And I was like, no, no, we weren't rich. I mean, we we're just, I guess, we're okay. But that neighborhood right now is a really expensive neighborhood. Like, you know, there's some houses there that are probably million dollar homes. Mm. Okay. But I wasn't aware that we were, you know, we were well to do. I thought we were okay. But I mean, what does a kid know? Right. But yeah, so these are some of the questions that they would ask me just out of curiosity and ignorance, because that's what uh, perpetuated in American culture. As you're growing up as a kid, you see all these things, National Geographic and, you know, all the, the dark continent. Uh, image that they they keep perpetuating about Africa, you know the the, the Ethiopian kid that's starving with the uh, you know flies around mm-hmm. there, you know hanging out on their body. Um, and then you know as as I left high school, I went to college. When they asked me where I was at, I didn't uh, where I was from. Most of the time, I didn't say I, I was from Ghana. I was African. Mm. I would tell them that I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. Right. You know because I didn't want anybody to know that I was, I was African right? because part of it was that I didn't want like a whole bunch of questions. Yeah. And part of it was kind of like, I just wanted to be normal. I wanted to be like everybody else. Right. You know, but I wasn't like everybody else. I was, um, I was from Africa and I should have been proud to say that, but right. you know, growing up back then, it wasn't cool to be African. I agree. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't a, a thing like now. Now I'm. I'm damn proud to say that I'm from Ghana, and the way I grew up, I'm, I like. I'm really proud of Ghana. You know, we might not have much, but I'm really proud of Ghana, where I'm from, and what we can do in the future. In the future, in our country and Africa as a whole. Yeah, you know? it, it's interesting you say. So, you know, the pride, your pride you have now for being Ghanaian, because. And I know this conversation about the misunderstandings between Africans and African Americans. I can almost extend it to Caribbean Africans too, and any uh, the, the the diaspora essentially, because I grew up also in in Toronto, like in a neighborhood here. And the first neighborhood I came, we, we grew up in when we first came from um, Ghana, it was predominantly Caribbean, so Jamaicans. And I remember I got into uh, I got into, I got into a, like a fight with one of the kids in the neighborhood. Because, you know, just kids fighting or whatever. And he was Jamaican. And I remember his mom came out and was, like, furious and lambasted me. What she said was, like, she was like, that's why you're an immigrant from Africa. And I was like, (laughs) and as a kid, I didn't understand that, right? But I just knew that I I should feel shame. And I felt shame when she said you're an immigrant from Africa. And I remember I went and told my parents that, you know. And I just remember my, my mom and dad, I didn't, it didn't sink in, but they were like, you will be grateful one day for for being from Africa. Mm-hmm. She, they told me they're like you're going to be grateful for being from there one one day, and I had no idea because at that moment I was like I don't want to be African because everybody insults us like we're just like we're like you know what I mean we're like the bottom scrapers or whatever you know so um, right. 
so it's 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 so interesting that when you talk about that um like the pride you have now because i have it now and i almost feel like it's almost like the new wave of people going to africa the things that vanessa canby does and um you know what you're doing exposing um talking about the diaspora and moving to ghana the videos you've made it's made Mm -hmm. people who have that shame come out of it you know um but but I think I think it's 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 interesting, and there's one thing that I also wanted you to, to address. You said you had you made a really good point. You said that um, one of the misunderstandings um, is that African Americans are Afrocentric and Africans are not. You said when you were growing up, you you drove past Cape Coast. This is where the slaves were taken um, to the transatlantic mm-hmm. slave trade. You drove past there a lot of times, and nobody told you what had happened there. Can you expand on that idea that you were talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, where I'm from is Second D, um, to Accra is about a three-hour trip, mm-hmm. and those two, ca- those two, well, I call them dungeons. I, I always, I'm, o- I'm always, always about to say castle, and I have to correct myself. They're dungeons. Yeah, you're right. But they're right in the middle of that journey. And we would pass, we would pass them each time, going back and forth between Accra and Second D, where I was born, so many times. And I'd see them; I can still picture them passing by them. I never knew what happened there; didn't know why they were there, but they were there. They were a landmark that we always passed by in Cape Coast. I never thought to ask my aunt or my uncles what these buildings. But then I came to the States in eighth grade class. I can remember just like it was yesterday, uh, being taught about the transatlantic slave trade. That was the first time I'd ever heard of that. Wow. As a matter of fact, I don't I don't know if my uncles or aunt even knew at the time. Maybe they did, you know, because they were adults. But it, it's not a topic of conversation that ever came up. Um, so finding out about the slave, uh, the, the transatlantic slave trade, looking at our history books and seeing um, you know, how these white people depicted um, the enslaved, you know, the the uh, depicting them as almost like animal looking and, mm. you know, how they depicted the skull of of Africans looking like animals and, you know, just like that. I, it, it was shocking to me as a child, as a, as a 13 year old at the time. It was very, very shocking that, you know, I like I, I was trembling all the way home because I, I didn't know that I. I was just naive to the fact that human beings could be that um, brutal mm. to another human being that I went, like I always tell the story. I went home and cried that day because I, I didn't know. Mm. I had no idea something like that happened. And that's how I learned of the transatlantic slave trade. So uh, yeah, those buildings. And I, I've, I've never, the last time we went to, um, we went to Ghana, uh, you know, my wife and I took our kids at the end of uh, 2017 uh, it was our plan to go there, but we we somehow because we had when you visit Ghana, you have so many things to do, and you know people want to see you. So we got kind of sidetracked, and we didn't end up there. But the next time I go, God willing, this year I plan to make it um you know to make it a point to go there because that's that's one of the places most Ghanaians probably would not consider that place to go, but I believe that everybody should go there because mm. it's it's part of our history, unfortunately. Yeah, you know. And you have to you have to go there to reconnect with your ancestors. Like there's this movie that I saw in um I think it was maybe ninety two or ninety three. It's called uh Sankofa. 
a lot of people would know it as Sankofa. If you if you if you could ever find that movie, you should watch it. But it's basically about this um this black woman who I believe became a model in Europe somewhere, and she went back. She went to Ghana to visit, and she took that tour. She went to the slave dungeons, and as she went through the point of no return, she somehow got transported into that time, that time period where they were moving the, the enslaved to to the Americas. And she happened, she got transported. It was kind of like a time war. She got transported into that period and she was brought over to the Americas as a slave. Mm. It's a really interesting movie. It's, it, it's, I think it's actually based on a play because I actually saw the play. It was being done um, outside Boston, you know, back in the 90s. So, yeah, it's a really interesting movie. So that those are some of the things that I learned, you know, uh, about the um, that period um, in our in our history, civil rights, and everything. But yeah, those those two buildings. I mean, uh, a lot of people go there and you know just reconnect with the ancestors, and it's it's a place that I really want to visit. You know, next time I go to Ghana. I haven't watched that video. I remember um, that when you said that you drove past it so many times and you didn't know where it was. I went back and asked my parents, actually. I saw them last week and I asked them. I said, you know, when you guys were growing up, you guys knew about Cape Coast, you know, and, and those those dungeons, as you said, you call them. Um, and I, I asked my, because my mom is Fanti. She grew up in that area. And I asked her, I said, did you know what happened there? And she said the same thing. She said it wasn't it wasn't spelled out to them. Like what had occurred there? Like it, did, it wasn't like how because I recently just went back last year with my parents and with my wife and and the education you get just from walking through there it's 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 ominous it's scary it's dark it's it's really grievous mm-hmm. like you really have to like debrief after you go through that um, and I I I and and I guess what I was thinking is like why wasn't this taught to Africans that are there and have the history right there. And is yeah. it is it because we ha- we haven't been taught this that we can- we're not actually Afrocentric? So African Americans have a need to be Afrocentric because they're in a part of the world where their blackness is not loved; it's shunned, mm-hmm. right? So they're forced right. to um, love themselves because nobody in this culture is going to. Whereas, like in Ghana, you're not trying to love yourself as a black person. Maybe you're trying to love your specific, you know, tribe or people you're with, right? But you're not you're not right. trying to affirm your blackness. So, like, do you like? I think that lends to also that like the misunderstanding between the two, right? Where like sometimes like there's a disconnect. Where my parents, I never was taught growing up. Like my dad never introduced me to like Malcolm X, um, mm-hmm. like any of the civil rights thinkers or, or, or writers, you know, like or black mm-hmm. black music culture, anything like that. You know, I was just mm-hmm. all I knew was Ghanaian culture. And, right. you know, and maybe the white culture that we were uh, like pretty much assimilating to. Right. It's uh, in my uh, 30s now that I've come to see so much of I become more Af- Afrocentric, essentially. Right. And and I wonder if I would have been this way if I'd grown up in Ghana. Like, um, do, do you get what I'm saying? Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It does make sense. You, you, you wouldn't have, and I wouldn't have either if I spent most of my life in Ghana until my twenties or thirties and and moved outside. We we wouldn't have because in Ghana, being black is not a is not a terminology or it's not a word that's that's described 
uh, as a Ghanaian. We're more Ghanaian than than even African. Right. You know, we're more tribal than anything. You know, you you have an Ashanti, then you have a Fanti, then you have somebody who's done. So we relate more to our tribe than anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. So being black is I, I don't even remember if as a um as a child in Ghana if I even heard that word or even considered it. You right, know? Right. Um until I came here and I saw uh maybe um a, a Revlon commercial and, and saw the terminology black is beautiful. That mm. that might have been I remember seeing that was one of the first few uh, maybe African American commercials I saw on TV when I first came here and heard hearing the terminology "black is beautiful" and I I considered it and I was like, oh okay, yeah, black is beautiful, you know. So yeah, bl- being black, it, it's not something that that's considered in, in Ghana. You're just either African or you're Ghanaian, right? Um, right. So um, yeah, so being raised in uh, the type of household that I described before. I got introduced to all these people, like, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., who I had never heard of before until I moved here to the States, Malcolm X. Uh, there was a period in American history where, because of the um, the X movie that uh, Spike Lee and Denzel Washington came out with, there was a lot of black pride in the early, um, in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's when, you know, black people, for a really short period, maybe two or three years, had a lot of black pride because of that movie, you know, people were wearing uh, Malcolm X hats, you know, wearing the medallions, the X medallion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what, what year you came here, um, but... Um, 94. I came in 94. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I learned about Malcolm X through that. Um, in my early 20s, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, which is a really, really good book. I wish I could read that book again. Um, you, 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 I learned a lot about black people through there and there's a there's another book that i read um i really recommend you read this book it's called um makes me want to holler mm. it's by a an author uh he's a, he's actually a journalist his name is nathan mccall m-c-c-a-l-l and his son was actually at my university was a student there in hampton university when i was there and i always wanted to ask him about his father but i never did mm. but yeah so this gentleman grew up in I believe in Philadelphia in a, in a black neighborhood and he talks about all the different things that he went through as, as a young child it was around the Vietnam era uh, a little bit before then is when he was born and then he ended up going to Vietnam came back um, didn't have a job but he talks about his childhood all the different things that he and his friends used to get into messing with girls going getting into petty theft petty crimes and stuff like that and growing up and he just completely changed his life and he became a uh, a journalist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Mm. So that book, I read that book, I believe in 93 or 94 is how I really learned a lot about what black people go through in this country. Cause he paints a really vivid picture of growing up black in America as a, as a man, as a young, a boy, young man becoming a man. Mm. He paints a very vivid picture and I understood a lot about the plight of black Americans in, in, in this country, um, reading that book. So it, it's things like that that affect really my my mentality, you know, the, the kind of, um, how do I put it, the, the, the kind of concept I, 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 um, I created about this, this country and, and black people. 
in this country and what they've, you know, what they've been through. And as a Ghanaian, if you come to this country later on in your life, if you didn't grow up here, weren't educated here, there's no way you really understand black people. Right. Because you, you'll, you'll come here and look at black people and think like, man, they've been given all, you know, all these things. You know, this country has so much. Why are they so struggling? But they don't understand the Jim Crow era. They don't understand redlining like you brought up. Mm -hmm. They don't know about those things. Okay, so they don't have an appreciation for the, the struggle that black people have, have went through. And and the, the things that we're, we're able to, even Africans coming here and being able to develop themselves in this country and being able to have what Africans have is because of the struggles that black people went through. Yeah, that's it's because point. of, you know, MLK and all those people fighting for civil rights. Right. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be able to have any of these things that we have now. Right, right. You know? So... We, we 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 kind of as Ghanaians and Africans when we come to this country we, we have to kind of respect and and have uh, some kind of empathy for you know uh, what black the plight of black people in this country mm, that's a good point and it makes me think like black people aren't monolithic so by that I mean like no. The, no, even even in in the continent of Africa like I think Ghana the closest culture outside of Ghana that's very similar to us and how we do things as Nigerians. But like right. from country to country, we're different, you know, and right. we have different things we value and different things we do. But the the thing that I think the Western world, because I believe the Western world was built on the backs of slaves, on the, on the backs of black people. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what one thing it did right. is that it created the concept of race in which white people were deemed with the more pleasant virtues and black people were grouped with the more less valuable virtues and 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 described mm -hmm. as less than so they've made black monolithic where like all black people are the same right and then mm -hmm. with white people like they white people will never allow you to group them together they'll never allow it mm -hmm. but when it comes to like privileges they won't say anything but like if you i i even i have a friend who's from um oh i think is it oh i forget the country uh, oh, Romania. And I was talking, mm -hmm. I was having a conversation to him about race and I was just talking about some of the things that happened in America. He's like, yeah, white people are crazy. I'm like, bro, you're white. <laughs> he's like, no, I'm not. He's like, he's like, I'm not white, man. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm Romanian, man. He's like, I'm not white from here. You know? And so white people mm. won't allow you to group them together, but black people have been like, and I think sometimes we adopt that. And it's unfortunate because we, we kind of have to, the struggle is together, essentially, like you described, because, the same MLK's fight for um, racial harmony here makes it possible mm -hmm. for Africans to come here and succeed, right? And I also think right. as Ghanaians fight and we try to rid ourselves of colonialism and the dependency on white approval and white influence, we make space mm -hmm. for African-Americans to come back home and, and flourish and develop. And they can even look across the water and say, look, look what we're doing as black people over there which would motivate them here. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So I guess my last question to you is like, what would you say is one big thing we can do to bridge this misunderstanding between Africans and Africans in diaspora, African-Americans and Africans in the Caribbeans? Um, I think first and foremost, um, Africans, African-Americans need to accept the fact that they're African. Mm. Now I know, I know that, there are some Africans, like like you're saying, that we're not all of the same mind. We're not monolithic. Um, there are some Africans that will say, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I came from American Indians, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Okay, but for for most African Americans, you know, their their ancestry is 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 in Africa. That's where their lineage is. So they need to adopt the mindset that you know we we have a home, we have a base, mm. and so that's like one of the reasons that white people don't really respect us is because we don't know where our base is. Right. And number two, we don't we don't have economic power in this country. Right. Okay. So for a lot of different cultures, like you know, um, I'll give I'll give the Israelis for example. They know where they're from. They know, uh, or a Hasidic Jew, a perfect example. They know that they're from Israel, mm-hmm. and they can go back. Their ancestors are from there, supposedly. You know, they can go back. They can visit. Um, Europeans know where they're from. You know, they can trace their lineage to Ireland, but a black person in their mind, an African-American, they know that they were enslaved and brought to this country, but they don't know where, where right. in Africa are we from? Because, you know, people just say Africa is one country, but also there are 54 countries in Africa. So they're like, where am I from? Like, you know, I don't, I don't really know where I'm from, but now yeah. there are ways to find out, you know, there's African ancestry, there's .com, there's ancestry.com there's so many different ways so you don't really have an excuse if you really want to you can find out where you're from so it all starts from that it all starts from admitting that yes i am african and i should be proud to be african um i want to find out where i'm from and then when you find out where you're from try to pay a visit to africa because africa is growing it, it, it has these opportunities um, you know, people are African Americans are going there and they're they're living there, they're investing, they're starting to invest, they're starting to be open to mm. the idea of even just setting foot on on the African soil. So that's the number one thing is like, yeah, they, they need to recognize that Africa's home. You know, it's not gonna be easy to transition if you if you go to Africa and you say, um, man, this place really feels like home. I'm connecting with my with my ancestors. My spirit feels great because the first time that I went back to Ghana, I hadn't been to Ghana in 13 years. I hadn't mm. seen my mother in that amount of time. When I landed at Kotoka International Airport and I I came out of the airport, even the air welcomed me home. Mm. You know, yeah, it it, it it it's like a warm embrace because you sometimes you come from the cold and you go to this warm climate. It's it just embraces you. Right. Everything about Ghana embraces you. You know, you're you're home. Yeah. There's there's nothing like being at home. Even even if you're like, for example, you're a college student, you've been you've been at where at your college for months, and you come home to your mother and dad, and you you, you get in the door, you're home. It, it's a sense of ease that you don't feel when you're here. Right. You know, I, I know you know what I'm talking about. When you oh, yeah. I felt it. Oh, yeah. definitely. I felt it. I, I When we got yeah. off that plane, I was like, whoa, this this feels it, good. A, yeah. You're amongst family. It's a, it's a sense of ease. Even if you don't know the person sitting next to you or the person that's passing you on the street, it's like your brother. It's, it's a familiar feeling because you've been around those people when you were younger. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, that's that's the first thing. I mean, I always tell, especially these days, and even in the past, whenever, like, a, you know, a black person, a brother or a sister asks me, um, you know, when I became an adult, I tell them, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from Africa. I'm from Ghana. Uh, you know, I always say Ghana, West Africa, because when I was, like, really younger, whenever I'd say Ghana to somebody, they would say, what, Guyana? 
I right. know, you know Ghana. Guyana. I've got, yeah, I've gotten that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ghana, Guyana is in South America or around there somewhere. But no, I'm from, you know, I'm African. But um, yeah, so now the, you know, the opportunities are open. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of things that me, you, you know, other people who have a similar mindset that we can do. Because if we spend the rest of our lives here, enjoying the creature comforts that we have here, Africa is always going to be the same. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's never going to change. You know, it, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult to influence and try to change the mindset of the average African, somebody who's much older, but it starts with the youth. Right. You know, cause you can, you can influence a child much easier than you can influence an adult. So, I mean, you know, people like me, you know, for example, I always tell my children, that they're African, even though they were born here. Like Kwame Nkrumah uh, said famously, like, you don't have to be born in Africa to be an African, but as long as Africa is in you, you're still an African. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's loosely basically what he said. You don't have to be born in Africa to be an African. Africa, Africa is born in you. So, you know, I tell them, you, you have the blood of an African. I'm, I was born there, so you in turn are African. They might deny it, kind of like when we were younger but one day they'll recognize it to be true yeah i agree i think i think it's a great point and um even the point of like encouraging people to travel to the continent and check it out and see it it's it's um uh, mm-hmm. there's a crazy stat before i got on here i looked it up it was like americans in 19 in 1990 four percent of america had passports four percent and even now, I think currently Americans, uh, forty-two of them, forty-two percent have passports, which is crazy because wow. like it just shows ignorance. Like I think there's a Saint Augustine quote where he says, um, "The world is like a book, and those who don't travel only read one page of it." You know, and I think mm. once we, once people, and this is this is an, an, an encouragement to African Americans and white people in in this part of the world, like you have to travel mm. to shed your ignorance. Like you have to. Exactly. You know, and I think what you just commended is really good. Like, first of all, know that you're connected to the continent of Africa. That's home. And go there and see it. <laughs> you know, yeah. see it. And and just pick a country. Do your ancestry, you know, trace and find where you're from and yeah. and, and do that. But, um, yeah, any any yeah. parting words before uh, we, we, we close? Because uh, you said a lot of good things. Yeah. Um, overall, kind of going back to what, what we just talked about, Visiting Africa for an African-American, it's kind of like looking in a mirror. You see a reflection of yourself in every single person that you meet, the customs. You you understand yourself a lot better. You'll know yourself a lot better. Right. You know, I always I always say the, the first step in being successful in any endeavor that you, you uh, partake is to know yourself, know thyself. That's one of my favorite um like phrases, know thyself. I always mm-hmm. tell my, my my kids that know thyself first and foremost. Once you know, you know yourself and you really understand yourself, there's nothing that will be able to stop you in this world. Okay, wow. so going on Af- going to Africa, visiting Africa in the motherland, you you see a reflection of yourself. Once you you understand a little bit of the traditions, you understand you a lot better. So, an example of this is um, the young man that directed the movie Black Panther, right. He said that um, before he directed the movie, once he was doing research, he went to a, a place in South Africa and he was just getting to know the people, the local customs and traditions. 
And being around those people, he said he really started to understand himself a lot better and understand why he and his friends, some of the things that they did. And he grew up in Oakland, California. Some of the things that they did, for example, just maybe uh, a lot of black people do this. We, we hang out outside our house. Right. Okay. We hang out maybe in the front of our house. Right. Right. But white people. Yeah. White people don't do that. But it's it, it's something that we do in Africa a lot, you know, because sometimes maybe because the, the houses that we live in in the past was really hot, you know, right. and we didn't have in those days we didn't have of course we didn't have air conditioning so we hang we hung out outside where it's more air you know so black people do that here yeah you know and it traces back your your culture and traditions never really leave you you know no matter how how much time passes it, it's encoded in the dna the things that people did black people did 400 years ago spirituality all those things it, it it's encoded in your dna you know, it travels down. So if you visit Africa, you really understand yourself a lot better. You really understand who you are, you, you know, what motivates you, what makes you move, how you, you understand even your parents better. Right, right. Because, right. yeah, nothing, everything is energy. You know, what, what I truly believe, everything in this world is energy. Nothing is ever killed or destroyed. Everything is still there. It's still as is. So, yeah, that's, those are my parting words, and you know, for anybody out there who would like to check out my YouTube channel, um, you know, I create content on bridging the gap between um, continental Africans and African Americans, especially Black Americans. That's because that's who I grew up with, grew up around in in this United States of America. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, my YouTube channel is called King Anan Ghana, K I N G and Anan A N N A N dash Ghana. Hopefully you like the content. If you do, uh, please make sure you subscribe to it. Yes, uh, definitely check out King Anna on YouTube. Subscribe. I have. Um, I listen to his videos and I enjoy it. Um, and yeah, and comment on this um, podcast if you have any questions, comments that you know um, that you've, you maybe that came up and maybe we can address it. Uh, I'll have him back definitely. Um, it's been great talking to you, King Anna, and I hope we can talk um, again, man. Thank you for coming. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Anytime.